You are listening to the Uncovered Canvas Podcast, and we'll be right with you. Today is going to be a little more interesting topic. What inspired us to be creators? A deeper dive, if you would. Mm. Okay. Would How do you like want to... to start? Like, do you want to like ask any particular questions? Should I ask you? I think the the optimal thing to do right now is just to get the weeks done because you know it, it has been a week since we've last done this it and has. who knows so much progress has been made and i like i'm te- technically out of the three of us hopefully cat can join us one day out of the three of us technically i am the lowest in terms of skill level and mm. actual content and it's little things that seem obvious but you know people really don't do you can visibly you can see Guys, yeah, do the thing. I know it, it sounds dumb, but I'm telling you, as someone who is literally at your level right now, do the thing, and then your problems right. will be solved. Exactly. And you got a couple of people who have done the thing here to help you along. Exactly. <laughs> so then I'll ask you. We'll start. We'll start with you, right? Like, what inspired you to be a creative and start getting into like doing projects and stuff? Or do you want to do the week first? Because I feel like the, you know we can just get. Yeah, the... let's do the week. Let's do the week first. Right. So, how's your week been, Hero? What's, uh, what's, uh, how's it been going in the Hero Land? It's been pretty stacked, I must say, especially the last two days. Uh, yesterday I was at a uh, friend's birthday party and we played video games all day. I was there from 8 a.m. till 3 a.m. today. So, <laughs> Uh, very much a thing. But in terms of projects and stuff, uh, mainly computer repair. Um, I had to fix one of my computers. I've been trying to re... I got this, was it uh, Data Color Spider X Pro uh, color correction thing for your monitor? Um, that's built like for photography and stuff like that, but it helps like if you do like digital color work, making your colors accurate and consistent across monitors. However, I've been having some issues with that. It's just not... It like keeps throwing up errors and I'm not entirely sure why um, I did some like Windows tweak adjustments and stuff to help run some of my programs a little bit smoother um, and that might be causing it. I don't see how, though. So I reached out to the uh, uh, the the help service desk or whatever, and they asked me a bunch of questions and haven't gotten back to me. And it's been about a week since then. So we'll see how that goes. Um, and then today I reached out to an old buddy of mine uh, working in the anime industry and uh, see if he had any work for me to do because I need to, they're cutting back my hours at my regular day job and I need to make some money. And I figured I'd do that while making progress on some of my goals. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm going to, uh, pick up some Sakon work for the first time. Ooh, Never done that before. Uh, I've always done uh, so. Sakon work is essentially um, the animation checker, animation director. Uh, is the guy on the team who makes sure all the animation is like good and consistent, and uh, none of it just looks kind of wonky and weird. Like if you're ever watching a show and you're like, "Huh, that that looked kind of weird," it's usually because they either didn't have a Sakon available mm-hmm. to correct it, or the Sakon who is in charge of that shot uh, isn't skilled like at all in terms of, you know, certain movements or things like that. Um, so like, uh, this would be like the, the role that, um, what was his name? The guy who did all the, the, he basically invented the attack on Titan, like motion with the 
omnidirectional gear gear and stuff oh, like God, that. Don't, and... don't use that. <laughs> like, don't, don't continue to perpetuate that narrative that they, <laughs> that it's omnidirectional gear. All the real fans know it's 3D gear. You yes, know? <laughs> it is. It is 3DMG. That's what it is. Oh, Three directional even, like, even in the original uh, comic. And in the sub in 3D gear, they only changed it because it like, oh, it, it matched the lip flap, but it matched the lip flaps better and yada yada. And I remember seeing the uh the Funimation panel, I believe. I, I believe it was Funimation that ended up dubbing that, if I recall mm-hmm. correctly. And I remember seeing the panel that they were doing, and it looked like such a raging question that the person was asking, like, so uh what was the uh mentality behind changing 3D gear into omnidirectional, whatever they ended up changing it to, and just seeing this guy try and like collect his thoughts and trying to, you know, effectively BS everyone to make his argument seem uh, work. And all he really had to do was, oh, it just matched the lip flaps better, or the script decided to go with something else. Because there's a scene in uh, Helsing Ultimate where uh, the main, you know, the director was supposed to say, "Welcome to Helsing." like in the comic, but mm-hmm. the lip, but the English lip, but when they were, you know, changing everything, the lip flaps didn't match. So they had to change it, unfortunately. So, you know, at a convention, you know, she said it for everyone. It's like, oh, welcome to Helsing. And it's stuff like this. It's actually really interesting. So effectively that role, what you're talking about would be similar to like an editor for comics, I guess. Yeah, kind of. Um, or maybe, maybe like a, um, a checker more than an editor, because uh, editors don't really deal with artwork. But mm-hmm. if you had like an art checker or something like that, that you had to pass through uh, in order to get your comic made, they do things like correct anatomy, correct timing, um, that sort of thing. So like in the kind of like a director seat, he has like a team underneath him that are all like um, animation directors or episode directors and stuff like that. Or, or So it's the series director episode director for each individual episodes you usually have about two or three of those for a whole series and then you have the for each episode each of those episode directors will have an art director and an animation director um or art supervisor and animation supervisor depending on like which one and then each of those guys jobs is supposed to essentially filter all of the little minute changes that artists have when drawing things and make Mm -hmm. them more on model or more accurate to either the animation style or the art style, um, depending on which, you know, supervisor that you're dealing with. So I'm taking on this role for the first time as Sakon, as the animation supervisor for some series. I don't know. I'll have to ask him later. I'm sure I'll find out. Um, and, and when I get the materials and stuff like that, which I should get here in a couple of days. Um, but normally I'm like uh, beneath those guys. Normally I'm like in the first key or second key. So first key would be like a, an American key animator. And then second key would be uh, somebody who cleans that up. And then you have Dogen cleanup, which does the in-between. While in American, you have cleanup uh, tie down or you have you have a uh, key tie down and clean up which are like mm-hmm. three different roles tie down does all the in-betweens and then clean up just cleans everything in in japan you have your uh first key and second key so second key cleans up first key and then the cleanup does the in-betweens for the second key if that makes sense okay and so I was doing those roles uh, primarily before for various anime, Chinese shows, whatever. 
Um, and then, uh, so right now they're kind of moving me up the ladder, ladder. Cause I was just asking like, Hey, do you have anything open? They're like, yeah, you want to do some sock on? I'm like, I've never done it before. <laughs> so maybe. And they're like, yeah, you can do some easy stuff. It's definitely a new skill to try and pick up and Hey, you want to know what? It could also help. Uh, it could probably help you down the line. It's always nice to gain a bit more in your skill mm-hmm. set. Because there was a video I remember watching from Plague of Gripes, and he said, it's one of those videos, it was a lecture, because none of his videos are, you know, less than 10 minutes, unless it's an animation. Mm. But he had said, you know, basically to condense, you know, an hour plus long video is learn more art and learn different skills. So even if you're, let's say, a painter, you'd still be able to get something out of sculpting you'd still be able or uh what was it uh, clay uh pottery i believe it was where you make the little with the clay and then it, you heat it up and then make mm-hmm. a little pot on the little yeah. like, wheel i'm sorry it's been i <laughs> while i was in college i didn't <laughs> take any art all, all of my unquote art classes ended up becoming uh i forget what electives i ended up taking to fill up that slot but unfortunately i didn't take any art for uh my art electives to fill that slot so uh, you'll have to forgive me if i uh don't recall what the exact word is or what that uh, the technical class was yeah you're but telling me was, i learned <laughs> I, was, I was just saying uh you're telling me i went to like colleges and got tours and part of the big tours were those specific things and even i don't remember yeah but he, he was saying more and more like d- diversify what you're learning from because it does help so oh yeah I, I definitely hope you get the, the gig and see you know what else you can accomplish because it's it's very interesting to see just the different things that you end up working on like hell you can go and point to someone and say like oh hey there's my shot right there or, hey, you know, I helped uh, make sure this doesn't look like garbage. Or, hey, you remember, oh, yeah. uh, remember how this looked kind of bad with the public? Because I, I remember with the with some of the animation they do, it's the airing version, and then it's cleaned up for the release version. Usually, that's more on the uh, eastern side, I believe. And then over here on mm-hmm. the western side, usually it's just, you know, finalized, donezo. If we get a Blu-ray release, that's because we want, you know, to put it out on Blu-ray. Yeah, because for Americans, they want it. They want it done. They want a final product ready to air. In Japan, their schedules work really, really tight. So they usually settle on an air date before they hire a studio to work on a project. And so that tend, yeah, you know, that tends to deal with some overlap. So a lot of times, it's like these animators and Japanese creators are fighting against a really strong timeline that they. Um, uh, have to like uh, the famous example would be like um, the episode in Evangelion where the preview of it was still like all the keyframes for the upcoming episode next week. Like it was like they they had just aired an episode and are actively working on the next follow up episode and have to complete it in less than seven days before it ships. Um, and oftentimes you have these guys, uh, this is a case as well in um, Golden Boy episode six, uh, they show this kind of process where they are running up against a deadline, they need to get this stuff over to photography as fast as possible. So they hire some people on like bikes and motorcycles to just mm-hmm. weave through traffic and run a couple of blocks over to the shooting studio where they'll shoot it and then they'll take that and 
run it as fast as they can over to the TV station who have this blank time slot up until like an hour. It's like about to to air. And they have like backup stuff that TV stations have dealt with this enough times. They're like, oh, if they're not going to make it, this is what we're going to show instead. Um, But it's it's a real race. Um, And it's very stressful for a lot of animators in Japan. And it's uh, it's extremely rare that they're done ahead of time. I actually learned pretty recently. I think I was watching a um, was a mother's basement video, Jeff Zhu. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about Mob Psycho as his like favorite anime or something like that. And he just dropped a little snippet that Mob Psycho season three uh, achieved the rare feat of being done in its entirety before the first episode aired, which was incredible to hear um, because you're so used to them, like just fighting the deadline so much to be so far ahead of it is just phenomenal. I mean, it seems so weird to, you know, when you say it out loud, you know, you think, well, wouldn't you want the product done before you, it's, you know, like it's school, you know, you want your, homework to be done or your assignment to be finished before you turn it in. Mm-hmm. But I guess it's just a different uh, idea of what the pro- what you want the product to be. You know, most of the time, a lot of these projects are just, you know, glorified advertisements for the original source. Whereas mm-hmm. over here, it's supposed to be its own standalone thing. That's why you have a lot of different ad- uh, interpretations of certain characters. Like you can look at a whatever cartoon Marvel wants to put out and you have like six different continuities of the cartoon, but you know, at least it's done, you know, it takes, you know, Oh, we're going to air these episodes, take a six month break. And then boom, here are the new episodes. Whereas you got some series that are all right, well, we'll go seasonal and they're not stopping to do anything. They're not, they're only stopping that show currently because their next project is airing like two days after the current show they just finished. I recall, uh, I believe, I forget what episode it was, but during Kill a Kill, Trigger had tweeted out, yeah, guys, we just finished the episode 18 minutes before it aired. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's very much the case. I think the, uh, I think the closest that they've ever gotten in terms of anime TV production was, uh, I don't remember what show it was, but I remember the number being like two minutes. Like two minutes before it was supposed to air, the footage was delivered. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's insane. And I think a lot of it comes down to, or at least from what I've heard. So this hierarchy system in terms of anime production companies is very unique, um, in my opinion. So what you have at the top is like the production companies, the people who own advertising firms, who own product lines, who own merchandising um, who own publishing rights to a specific property. And this is the this is why a lot of anime are just glorified car, uh, commercials for mangas, because the people who own the manga um, are the people who are paying for the anime. And the anime the... studio is the people... Yeah, it's not the author or anything like that. The but anime anything... studio... Oh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the anime studio is like the commission front right like if you go to an artist and you're like hey i want this character drawn uh it's essentially the same kind of policy where a production company or group will go to uh, like throw out bids to various anime studios famous case being attack on titan again this is what happened with season four is they wanted wit studio to do season four wit studio was lined up for the next five years they're like we can't wait for that long because the hype's gonna die out 
So we're going to find somebody else to do the final season. Throughout the bid, nobody wanted to touch it. They've seen the manga. They knew the expectations of the anime. Nobody was able to perform the feat that they were asking these animation studios to do, which was to essentially create this whole this whole season in 18 months and not have it fucking suck ass. <laughs> like, it's one of the biggest projects ever created. Yeah, I bet. It's uh, just to roll it back before we get back to that little topic. Uh, if I recall, <laughs> there's no image comics in Japan. Usually these creators that make these manga, they don't own the rights. It's effectively the publishing company gives you permission to work on the comic because they themselves don't own the work anymore. They're allowed effectively to mm -hmm. continue their work. And Image Comics being this uh, independent creator studio where they only publish the comic. They don't own anything. They take a flat rate just to publish it. And then the creator of the comic is, you know, the owner. They, they, they got to do everything, though. They got to edit it, public, uh, make it, color it. The whole the whole shebang, they just have a publisher to get it in the stores. Right. So I think the closest thing they have over there is like, I guess, doujinshi culture, where they go to Comic Cat or some other, you know, major uh, convention and just sell it themselves. Or they use Torah or Melon Books to get the book out. Most of yeah. these people don't. Uh, I think the, the easiest way to show is Toriyama, whenever they get them back, it's to help, you know, guide what they want to do with the series. Like Dragon Ball Super, they he gave them notes and he kind of pieced out. That's why you have su the super manga taking a slightly different direction than the super anime. Oh yeah, so and Dojinchi in in Eastern, Dojinchi is basically self-publishing um, as a root. Uh, so like the the production or publishing company setup is similar to how it is in the U.S., where you have like an author who has to do like all of its work, all of their work and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but the publishing company help depending on the schedule will help with things like providing materials, providing a working space, providing assistance, stuff like that. Like they'll put out the bid, but you as an author still have to pay for those things, right? So they get you a studio, but that comes out of your paycheck. They get you assistance, but that comes out of your paycheck. Um, and all of these things. And so like it, it's more important for you to become popular so you get paid more so you can afford more of these things and um the anime helps you do that which is how the japanese justify not giving you a cut of the anime's profits because you weren't you didn't supply money into the original production cost of the anime you may have pro provided the source material but they could have gone to anybody for that right Anybody yeah. who happened to be popular. And if you're a first time creator, it's like they give you like a no risk contract of like here. If the anime, no matter what mon amount of money or success the anime brings in, you get $1,400 as a cut mm -hmm. uh, or 14,000. You get $14,000 as a cut. Demon Slayer went on to become a multi-billion dollar industry um, property. And the author only got the 14,000 because she signed that contract because uh, she was being told that it was going to fail. And very realistically, very realistically it was. Uh, the manga was not doing well. The thing that saved it was the anime. So it's very much in the anime's favor for that kind from of thing. Under, from my understanding, the editor had come out. Because I remember reading this article. The editor mm -hmm. had... The reason why the manga ended so soon... After, not so soon, but you know, the hype train of the anime caught up. But the manga was on its last arc. And the reason for that was... 
I believe somewhere in production, the manga was given the, okay, so you're not doing so hot. Go ahead and enter your final arc. So the manga ends. You have to forgive me for the timeline. I'm not too, I wasn't really too engrossed in the Demon Slayer hype. I kind of, it was, you know, the Shonen of the Week, the overhyped but still entertaining watch type deal. So I mm. sat down and looked into it, and the the manga ended about a couple months after the show ended. So it, to a lot of people, it seemed odd. Why wouldn't they keep the manga going? Because you know the show literally, as you said, it carried it, it exploded in popularity. You're still getting Demon Slayer merch, however long, even after mm-hmm. uh, the like, mind you, first season stuff, not the new stuff that's getting adapted. So. The manga be ending so soon kind of showed, yeah, they didn't really believe, like, they, they knew it was the last ropes, and they really didn't think that the anime would carry it so much, to mm-hmm. the point where now, after the show gave it so much, you know, gave it a new uh, injection of life, you have all of these spinoff ideas and side mangas and other stuff being made, because, you know, I, I don't believe she's doing a sequel series, right? She's doing something no. else, or... Yeah, she's working on something else entirely different. Her next project. Yeah, so it's really interesting to see that they've effectively like, all right, so this is what we're going to do with the franchise now because, you know, she's done with the project. She can come back mm-hmm. and give input, but, you know, that's done. That's shown and Jump to do whatever they want with the Right, because they own the rights. And it, it's a very interesting kind of, like, dynamic because the only reason Demon Slayer got an anime is because the director who worked at Ufotable at the time happened to be a big fan um, and they were already looking for like an anime project because one of the producers also was a big fan. Um, and that's usually the case. It's like you get one of your fans happens to be really rich and they want to buy an anime, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so that's kind of like what happened. They start the production company. They put out the bid that one of the directors at Ufotable is like, yo, I love Demon Slayer. Let me get on this. They put in a bit or they put in to the production company. They buy 20% of the profit um, or whatever. And so Ufotable is like, and Kyoin does this as well, where Kyoin will uh, only produce projects that they particularly own and can invest in so that they can continue to fund themselves to make bigger and better shit. That's why all of their anime looks so good. That and they also run a school, so they charge people for that. So they get like a bunch of diversified income which isn't very common for studios. Um, so Ufotable also did this, where they bought a portion of the production uh, cost. They invested in it. Um, the director was a fan. The producer was a fan. They got together with the author, talked about the series, developed a whole plan for it, made it a really big smash hit. Um, and then all of the money that was made from like all the different parts was divvied up based on like what the contributions were. So like merch sales primarily go to the merch people of the production uh, group. Um, the animation Blu-ray sales goes to the studio, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah. then the overall gross profit is then additionally divided up percentile based on whoever contributed or invested that amount of money. So like you would get 20% of whatever that cut is um, in addition. So that's why they're a, uh, one, why they're invested and able to produce more Demon Slayer content like mm-hmm. the movies, like the entertainment district arc and stuff like that. Um, and make these look so incredible is because 
besides tax dodging, which is something that they've done in the past, that guy's yep. gone now. <laughs> um, besides that, that's part of why they're considered like unlimited budget works, heavy quotes on that, right? It's yeah. because they are smart about how they handle their money. They're smart about how they hide their CG too, because they're a company that as I know CG and anime get such a bad rep because it looks janky, but the whole whenever you see crazy particle effects or the the shonen powers being used, that's them just using the CG and they're just covering it up really good. I remember watching the production stuff for the Fate Heavens Feel movies. And mm-hmm. when you actually see what is CG and what is actual hand-drawn animation, you'll you'll be surprised. Give me one sec. Sorry about that. Yeah, it's like 90% CG um, and 10% like actual animation. Like the main uh, animation aspect of Ufotable shows tends to just be like characters and weapons. Like characters and anything the characters touch. And then everything else is either computer generated or composited in After Effects uh, using a lot of their proprietary scripts and techniques and workflows that they've developed over time. Yeah, I'll, just to interject again, or to interject, uh, the we're not pulling anything out of our butts. It's you have someone who has worked in the industry, in the case of Hero, and someone who's gotten his information from articles from the directors themselves, articles from the you know inter, you know reading interviews from the creators or interviews from the editors themselves. Because there was an the editor of Demon Slayer did an article or in, in, an interview that talked about the whole what was going on with Demon Slayer at the time, why it was ending so quickly after the anime, its status as being, you know, not doing so hot and so on and so forth. Both of us have done our research in what we're talking about. I myself mostly are going off of interviews, while as Hero himself, I don't want to speak for you, but I believe you yourself are getting most of this from, you know, not only previous work, but, you know, your understanding having actually been and worked in this industry. Yeah, a lot of it is um, either uh, the interviews and articles that you've also read, um, just kind of being in the zeitgeist of that, and then also word of mouth, because people in the industry talk to each other. There a lot. There's a lot of overlap um, for animators in animation studios. Most of the time, they're not really married to the studio, uh, especially freelancers who have to be brought in as like extra help and stuff like that. They'll talk to the people who are kind of married to a studio, and you know, word travels. Right, everybody's talking about everybody else. You're trying to figure out what the good shows are, what the bad shows are, where everybody wants to work, who's paying well, who's not paying well, and so that kind of stuff just travels naturally um based on these these kinds of things because you know uh, demon slayer was a wildly successful anime attack on titan a wildly successful anime i've no i know people who have worked on season four of attack on titan and have gotten the direct report from the people at mappa um on like why they were doing certain things like for example like why the cg looks so bad in season four part one mm-hmm. um and so it's like, uh, because I talk to these people, because they talk to each other, that's how I find out so much. Oh, man. <laughs> I just realized there's so <laughs> much that goes into your week, you know? Uh, unfor- I, I, I guess I could say my week wasn't as impressive. Uh, same thing before. Uh, yesterday, I, actually two parties. So, you know, both uh, Mexicans. So when we were told, oh, when do we show up for the party? We were given a certain time. Mm-hmm. And... To all my fellow Hispanics in the in the audience and listening, you know what happens when someone tells you a time. You work on Mexican time. They tell you 530, mm-hmm. you're showing up at like 7, 8, and they know you're mm-hmm. going to show up there. That's why they told you something super early because they know, all right, so I got to 
add in the Mexican time tax. So <laughs> to my surprise, uh, a friend of mine on Thursday sends me a text saying like, hey, um, we're doing a small get together for my birthday on so-and-so day at three. And I'm thinking, who the hell is up at three on a Saturday? You got people working, you got people chilling. Like, you know, if you're going to do all your fun stuff on Saturday, that's closer to like probably later. So maybe six at the earliest because, you know, you, you want to enjoy your Saturday or, or you just got off your uh, weekend shift. Mm-hmm. So I had gone in on I went into work. And then after work, I went to go donate some plasma. But then as I'm driving home, my I need to check my gauge on my gas tank because unfortunately, you know, you say you see, oh, you have a quarter tank left. And then as you're driving somehow, some way within the span of a couple blocks, you see the dot come on. It's like, all right, I have the dot. I'm on my way to the gas station. I have enough gas to get there. And then you slowly feel your car slowing down and you're losing control. And I'm like, all right, time to pull into a parking lot because something's going on. I check somehow the gauge went from, oh, I have a quarter tank to you're running on fumes, you're empty. That's why the light came on. So I'm stuck in a freaking parking lot. And all I'm thinking is I don't need this right now. I really don't. So I look into my trunk and lo and behold, I forgot to put the gas can in there so I can go to a gas station, just fill up with a, you know, a single gallon. So, oh, you know, fill up, the, fill up the car with a gallon, use that gallon to get to the gas station, so on and so forth. And I got to walk like about a mile down to the nearest gas station to not only buy the tank, but also, you know, the gas with it. And I get there, I buy the tank, I get back to the car. I'm, mind you, I'm in Chicago weather, so it's chilly and I'm in shorts because, you know, you're in the Midwest. You don't, it could be minus 15 degrees out and all you'll be like, oh, you want to, I just need a wind blocker and some, and, uh, some sweats instead of shorts. And I'm fine. <laughs> I remember uh, at one point there was, it was sub 15 and the wind chill would be minus 23 and I still see people out in like sweatpants and stuff over here. And it's, it's freaking crazy. I love this place. So I get to my car and I fill it up. But unfortunately, this new gas canister is like the new age technology gas canisters. Whatever happened to you undo the lid, pop it up because usually the nozzle is upside down. So that way, you know, you prevent leakage. Uh, what, there's like what's with all these bells and whistles on a gas canister? I got like six things i gotta push in and turn and it's like what what's going on here uh i call my bud because even after i get the gas in there it looks like i need a jump start too so it uh messed up my starter i guess okay so and it was his birth it was another friend's birthday party that i needed to go to that day too so that they share an apartment complex so one person's below him and the one uh another one's on top so he himself is also trying to get ready for his birthday so i call him up and i'm thinking hey so i'm like four blocks away from you you wouldn't happen to have a gas... This was before uh, I went to go get the gas canister. I'm like four blocks away from you. Could you... Uh, do you happen to have a gas canister? And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, man. I don't. So I ended up you know, going to the gas canister. I give come back, and he calls me, wanting to make sure, hey, did you get the gas? I just wanted to make sure you're not stranded. And I'm telling him, yeah, I got the gas, but I'm not starting. So he's looking at me, he's like, I think you need a jump start. And I'm like, yeah, I do too. And like, you got your cables? Of course I got my cables. Came over, backed up. Tried to jumpstart it. It wouldn't want to start. So I'm thinking, all right, this is an older car. How can you do? How can you trick it to start? So I'm thinking, all right, we're in park. Let me try something. Because if something's up with the starter, let me try turning it on on neutral. And then starts on neutral and I can get out of there. So that was fun. Like it kept piling on and piling on while I was at work. No one got anything done. 
we were all like there was four or five of us that came in on the Saturday and no one got anything really done. I was supposed to change a valve on a machine, but unfortunately, whoever thought this plan didn't, you know, count for certain things. So, you know, we take everything we need out, we shut down the machine, get, bleed out the air, change the valve. Unfortunately, the valve is the wrong size. <laughs> and we're thinking, so I, the supervisor that's there, I call him and say, so... I hate to break it to anyone, but who ordered this part because it's the wrong size and the you're supposed to have it two size because you're not supposed to size it up and then size it back down for the pipe. Right. So, you know, let's say it's a one inch pipe and the piece itself is, you know, one and a quarter. You're not supposed to size it up and then size it back down. It's I forget what the uh, I don't remember who or what organization because uh, it's not. uh it's not OSHA. It's a different guy. But either way, that took a bit to crack. And I'm suspended in the air. I got to use my you know pipe wrench and then my other wrench to like crack it so, so I can get that out. Because most of the time that you're struggling, you got to crack that. Sometimes friction mm -hmm. itself is what's keeping you know your pipes together. Sometimes it's you know you needing to crack that paste. So that was fun. And then donating plasma, I got the new guy, you know, uh, sticking the needle in me. So. He's doing a couple, like, practice swings. So the thing I try to do whenever I'm donating plasma is, all right, don't tense up. Don't tense up because you're going to feel it. When you tense up, your nerves and everything else is more active. And, you know, you, you can definitely feel it, like, the little ouchie that they give you. I mean, they, you, yep. already feel the, you already feel the ouchie that they give you when they have to prick your finger to, you know, get a sample. So whenever they do that, I try and, you know, calm down. Don't be tense because when you're tense, you're going to feel it more. So I'm seeing this guy like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like taking practice swings. I was like, dude, come on, man. I'm starting to tense up here. <laughs> like, dude, it's just a needle. Come on, man. You've done this, I don't know how many times. Today alone. Stick it in, stick it in mate. Just, just hurry up, <laughs> man. Like, I'm, I'm starting to tense up. And you, you're already tense because, you know, they wrap the thing around your arm. And then you got, you know, tight fist. So that way they could find the vein. So mm -hmm. it's already going to be tense. But now I'm tensing up even more because the dude's like trying to practice. So he's like, who, 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 like he's trying to, he's trying to get into the zone and trying to make sure he gets it right. I'm like, dude, cricket, uh, what? He gets it finally. And I'm sitting in this chair thinking, oh man, that was nuts. Uh, the only highlight of my day is sitting in a chair getting plasma drawn. Afterwards, freaking car breaks down. Got to do all this other shenanigans. And I forget to drink a lot of water. So I'm not only dehydrated from that. But I almost missed the party because my mom calls me because I had called her when I first broke down because I'm thinking, ah, oh, great, I'm going to need a tow. So all of that on the one day. Fantastic. That sounds and, like a great day. Yeah, it was, right? And that was my weekend. My weekends are supposed to be the times, you know, you're uh, you're relaxed and chilling, you know, nothing's supposed to go wrong. And then everything just hits the fan on the Saturday. And I work second shift, so not only did I have to you know, get up early, you know, after I got off my night shift, I had to get up early and go, you know, work a day shift on the Saturday. So I'm tired. Then I get more tired from the work and I get even more tired because you need to get your plasma drained. And then I had to walk more already drained to get the gas in this very, you know, draining scenario. And I get home. I'm trying to, you know, I shower, I get ready for the party. I knock out for a couple hours. My mom calls me, wakes me up, and he's like, oh, you okay, yada, yada. You know, I heard you call. Or, uh, you know, I'm like, yeah, I don't know, fine. I just wanted to, like, I, I, we didn't, I didn't really tell her what happened. 
because it kind of just the conversation moved from it. So we right. ended up with, you know, kind of chatting for a bit. It was like, all right, yada, yada. I love you. I love you too, Ma. I'll be uh, so on and so forth, the uh, party and so on. And she hangs up and I realize what time it is. Like, oh, my thank God she called me because I rushed over to the party and we just chill. We vibe. Uh, one party is a bunch of stoners hanging out and then downstairs, there's no cat. However many, uh, whatever song you got playing, you know, it's just the, is it lo-fi or lo-fi? I can't remember because every time I see lo-fi. the, uh, it's lo-fi. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so they, they, they have that playing in the background, like on the big screen TV and he has a surround sound and some sound bars and like they, they really decked out the room. So I go down there to the second party and I'm eating all the snacks thinking, man, I just came from the stoner party. Why am I the one that got the munchies? Because I didn't smoke, because I knew I'd have to, uh, I'd have to stay extra long, and I had just, I'm dehydrated. I'm running on an empty tank myself as well. I didn't eat anything that day. I think I only had a, I think I might have had like a snack or two while I was at work. But that's mm-hmm. just, uh, I need something in my stomach to get me going, like a little, like a little Chex Mix bag. So, all my entire week can be, uh, you know, summarized as, well, that was one good Saturday. I can't wait for the next one. Oh boy. Because the majority of the week has just been uh, wake up, work, wake up, work. Not as impressive as what you ended up doing here. I think the only thing that I can say for certain was I had joined a – I don't believe I mentioned this last time, but I meant I joined a writing club in a Discord I'm in. So the oh. challenge was to do a short story. It was 1.5K to 7.5K words as an introduction to one of your characters. Mm-hmm. Now, I know this sounds really dumb to say. I know this is one of those, duh, no, duh, guy, come on. This is, this is what they tell you. When you do your second draft, not only does it come out better, it flows easier. And the ideas mm-hmm. just come to you naturally, and the ideas connect better. You know, like, oh, guys, it, I know it's such a no, duh. You have every writing video, every yada, yada insert basic advice thing that you can make, you know, like a 10K video on and everyone's going to watch and you're just regurgitating the same information everyone else is saying. But as someone that, you know, I'm doing more writing now, yeah, guys, you're please do not write one draft and then call it a day. I was struggling on the first draft. Originally, it was third person. And I'm trying to work on my prose. It's not necess- It's not the best right now, <laughs> I'm not going to admit. It's been a long time since I did a lot of creative writing since high school. So, third person. Eh, I get the general idea of the story going, and it's... I'm struggling to get to the word count. So, I get there, and I'm thinking, eh, it's not really what I, I... I'm trying to hold myself to a standard that I put in place... Because I don't like the idea of, all right, so if I don't want to read this, what if someone else is reading this and now they're paying for it? And I redid the draft. So on to draft two, I changed the perspective to first person instead. And this initial scene was flowed way faster. Originally, I was struggling just to get, you know, for two days, it was supposed to be around like, okay, well, I need to hit 1.5 in two days. 1.5k in two days. And I was struggling to get there. I was able to do that in day one. Just boom. Was able to get it done. Just because it flowed better. The ideas that I wanted to get out came much easier. And it just, it was better. It 
so many times I see a lot of new creators, they do the one pass around, they do the one thing, and then boom, they're on to the next. It's like, you're not going to check your work, you're not going to go back, I'm like, no, 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 I'll work with it. Or I'll do X, Y, and Z later. Mm-hmm. You can't do X, Y, and Z later because if you're struggling at the beginning to get your stuff going, then, you know, you're starting a, your foundation is weaker because you decided to not go back and check your work. With a stronger foundation, your writing becomes stronger, even if you don't intend to. It's one of those things where, let's say I'm like level one, but rewriting and doing a second draft, you want to know what? This, uh, this ain't too bad. This is like a level five type stuff. This is... You're above your skill level by simply looking over your work. <laughs> I, I know this is such a duh. Come on, guy. Re- like everyone's telling you to do it. Even at school, you know, you do your work once and you got to change it. You know, you don't turn in the first draft of your essay for college or any paper you had to do for school. You look it over, get input, and then you got to change it. You got to make it better. So that <laughs> that's definitely why I do feel a bit kind of like a ding dong because it's such an obvious thing that it works. It, it does work. Look over, get a draft going, and then edit it. Make it better. Because the fir- you're not going to be putting out gold on your first try. You're not... It, it's rare that people can, from what I've read. But the only times that, from what I've seen historically, people nailing it on the first draft are people that have had, you know, years of experience. So mm-hmm. that way they know, all right, I know this, 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 and that, boom, I can get it on the first draft. Yeah, and most of that's just avoiding mistakes than it is, like, creating genius. Yeah. So you still yeah. want to do, like, even if you are in that position as, like, a professional, you still want to do the, the reviews and revisions. Yeah, which somewhat ties into what today's topic is, what inspired us to be creators now. Hero, why don't you take the reins of this? Because I'm tired of hearing myself talk. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, what inspired me to be a creator? Yeah. Uh, well, it, it's kind of a mixed bag. I've always liked drawing and creating stories since I was a, a child. Uh, my mom saved the first image that I ever drew, which was a stick figure of my aunt as she was in labor with my cousin. <laughs> And so it's like a it's like a stick figure lady with a circle for a stomach and then another smaller stick figure inside. And I drew that when I was three. So uh, it, it, it's just kind of like in my blood that I've always wanted to be a creator. And it, it, I've been thankful and lucky enough to have friends and family to kind of like foster that. Uh, nobody really ever discouraged me from drawing. There were people who had reservations about my career option and stuff like that, but it was there was enough information and things were on a precipice of change that uh, you know that they've come into now. Like I wanted to work in anime, and now it's easier than ever to get into anime work. Like it's it's just a real convenient matter of timing. Uh, but the main thing that got me into anime is uh, kind of unique. I was. Going through a lot of like I was already a really big fan of anime from Naruto and stuff like that, Um, Mm -hmm. but I was still kind of like deciding on what I wanted to do because the only art related job that I knew was like um, it was like just being a painter or an illustrator or something like that. I didn't consider comics. I didn't consider animation. 
uh, or anything like that. And I had like a, a pretty good interest in those things. And I was like fascinated by the people like who made them like, uh, but it never really clicked in my mind. It's like, oh yeah, real people who live somewhere and are adults made these things um, like SpongeBob or whatever. But so me and my dad were going on this kind of like binge of just uh, getting a bunch of anime movies and stuff like that and just trying new series from Blockbuster. We would go there every couple of weeks. We would rent some DVDs for eight bucks because it was cheap. And uh, they started getting like a, a burgeoning anime section. So I was picking up things like Satoshi Kon's Paprika or um, I don't know who did. Uh, was it uh, Sky? Sky some it's it's this one about like fighter pilots and stuff like that. Uh sky, mm -hmm. sky crawlers, that's what it was. And mm -hmm. uh so we had picked up um a movie called Tekken Kincrete, uh, which is directed by some guy, Michael. I have to look that up later. Um but uh so I was watching that movie and I thought it was really, really unique because the art style is like really experimental. The characters uh, most people would design are like non-aesthetic. They're very kind of like blocky and shapely. Um, it, it's very rudimentary, kind of like drawn down and whatever, but it's offset. Like these simple childish character designs are like offset by these incredibly detailed, beautiful watercolor backgrounds um, that just seem to look good from every single angle. And I'm just so like kind of drawn into this world and this dynamic of like reverse detail. And there's a specific scene towards the beginning of the movie <clears throat> where uh these two kids, Dawn and Dusk, are coming over from, like, another town, and they're talking about taking on this this local gang called the Cats. And they're like, yeah, we got run, of our, run out of our town. We're going to take over this town now. The current top dogs are the Cats. If we can beat them, then we're Gucci. Um, and so while they're talking about this, getting some food from a vending machine, all of a sudden, the cam like, a kid talks from off screen, and the camera shifts in 3D space. Nothing about the background art or character art or anything changes. Everything just naturally slides into position in 3D space. And my mind was forever fucking blown. <laughs> it really just changed my entire worldview, that little moment. Because wow. up until that point, I had never seen a shot in anime that wasn't like hand drawn to change position, change position. Right. So I was like, I have to know how they did that. And I spent the next couple of years just kind of tracking it down. Eventually I found this little excerpt from a documentary that was shot alongside the movie um, that I've never found the full documentary for. I wish I could. I think it might've just been on like the DVD extras or something like that. Um, but they essentially had built digital blocks of the background, like the set. And then they had a background team paint, or, or I guess they printed off those blocks from various angles had the background team paint according to those blocks and then reattach those images onto the blocks that were in the 3D space. And so um, instead of having like rendered imagery, it was just like 2D paintings that they were essentially being able to view from every possible angle. And so this was like the early days they're using. Um, I think they were using 3DS Max, but this was like the early days of camera mapping and deep canvas technology that uh, Disney used for Tarzan, um, but like a like a kind of more analog version of it that was, in my opinion, just looks better than digital painting. But yeah, that was that 
that moment and that kind of need to understand how that was like done and broken down and how to replicate it kind of drove me into learning all the ins and outs of like the anime production and getting really invested in it and getting obsessed with things like movement and motion and framing and you know all these other things and eventually I wanted to become like a, a director of animation um and primarily an anime director but then like I learned later on no you have to be an anime director you have to be like fluent in Japanese and know all these things and go all through these steps and blah 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 and it takes a long time and I'm like that sounds like doing too much so uh my path, my trajectory has been kind of like a, a kind of chaotic, but it's in the same kind of general area. It's more like a shotgun spread, <laughs> you know, as I try to figure out what I really want to do and slowly get closer to that idea of becoming an anime director, which, you know, which is exciting for me getting into this Sakon position, um, because that's one step up the ladder to becoming an anime director. So. You know, who knows? We'll see. In the next couple of years, maybe I'll get it. Yeah, it'll be freaking, uh, that'll definitely be something, am I right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, oh yeah. Right. So it, it's really kind of profound and interesting to, like, as a child, I was always talk about it. It was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to work in anime. I'm going to make manga. I'm going to do these and do those. And then when you finally do it, it's kind of surreal. Uh, being in that position because you're like even if you're not good at it even if you're not very high on the ladder you're like yeah but i i did what i said i was gonna do i achieved my goal yeah you've done something i remember uh to interject a bit there's so many people want to do it and a lot of advice people have told me you know before is like oh do you like the idea of doing it or do you like actually creating do you actually like doing the thing Right. And I can only imagine just the satisfaction you have where you wanted to do X and now here you are, you know, doing it. You know, you're walking the walk, not just talking the talk. You have right. something tangible that you can point to and say, I did the comic. I did the show. I did. Here's the thing I wanted to do. And now here's me doing it. So mm -hmm. many people that I've seen in a lot of the Discord chats that I'm in. You know, I, I end up joining a lot of, you know, art chats and writing chats and you know, just general, you know, creative stuff because I wanted to be in a community that would help me grow and, you know, push me to do X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times, you know, you have a lot of creators that just don't have the discipline to do it. Right now, it's clear as day. You had the discipline to just, I want to do this. This is my goal. Not as much discipline as like some other people, you know, who are just like born and bred for it. And it's like also kind of right. like important to remember that they certain people are presented with specific opportunity that allow them to pursue the goals that you share faster than you can. Right. So like I'm at a disadvantage living in the middle of the United States, far, far away from anybody who's interested in animation, let alone anime. Right. Um and so the only way that I'm able to kind of communicate or make progress in these types of areas is via the internet. But these people aren't going to find me. I have to find them. So that's like another layer of work. But then at the same time, you got people like Ver Creek, very famous animator, um, got started at 17 as like a like real big pro guy doing all kinds of crazy animation cuts and having like insane responsibility all at 17. And here I am almost 30, you know, just struggling to get there. But he lives in the Philippines, which is like a hop, hop, skip and a jump from Japan. And they already hire from the Philippines a lot anyway. And he has all the resources available and, you know, all these things 
it, plus the the amount of the Philippines uh, like money, their their um, exchange rate is so low compared to Japan that getting paid even pittance from Japan is like a godsend. It's still a lot of money. While in the U.S., ours is higher. So getting paid pittance in Japan is getting paid less than pittance in America. So it's like you got to compare and contrast your kind of positions here where he was basically in an A plus starting position while I was in an F plus starting position. So I think that's important for like any kind of industry that you get into is like when you're comparing yourself to other people, it's like, yeah, but they're so much better than me. They're so much further along from me. Yeah, but they also had like so many advantages, so many opportunities to that just allowed them to get better faster while you had to work to acquire those things. So you just like you just had to do more. So like <laughs> in in the long run, that prepares you to be a stronger candidate than they than that. Nothing hurts more than seeing someone squander the chances and opportunities they were given to kind of oddly tie this into something that I've been watching. There's a, a YouTuber slash streamer that I used to watch named Wings of Redemption. And, you know, he's a overweight man and he bit of a toxic individual when it comes to, you know, a lot of his streams. And so like, obviously that's the narrative that's presented to him. But a lot of, you know, this is someone who's been given opportunity after opportunity to try and better himself mm -hmm. and he squanders it. So a lot of people, you know, he ends up, the Wings of Redemption now is a lol cow at this point, simply because he's created this community, you know, inadvertently that just want to mess with him simply because of, you know, past decisions and mistakes that he's done. And he's going to have to live with that. Yeah, like a Chris Chan type situation. Yeah, where, you know, he keeps feeding into it and this community that he himself created through the decisions and the lies and the the opportunities that he came to him, he just squandered it. You know, there was at one point, uh, the, the most, e the easier examples to point to were two of them. One of them was a friend of his said, come live with me for a month. We're going to do a boot camp to get you to, you know, help you lose weight. So he's like 400, close to, he's like four, let's say 450 around there. He's very, you know, larger individual. So within the span of a month and his friend helping him, getting him active, his heart rate and everything, the dude loses 40 pounds and you know, he had to change his bathroom because, you know, it was a smaller bathroom. So he renovated his bathroom and helped him out. Like, he, he recorded the whole thing, too, because his YouTube channel was dying at the point. So not only did he record the stuff so that way he can put the YouTube videos on Wings of Redemption's channel. He was doing this. He took a month out of his time to help him. Not mm. only did he help him lose the weight and record the YouTube video so that way he could put it on his channel because, you know, everybody loves a redemption story. You know, everybody mm -hmm. loves the, you know, the underdog getting back up or not so much underdog, but, you know, like everybody loves the comeback. So right. he couldn't finish the full month. He got 24 days in or 28 days. I can't recall. It's been such a long time since I've, you know, even watched anything of this individual and he squandered it. Later, he ended up, you know, ditching YouTube and being more of a streamer for various circumstances. And he thought, all right, so I'm going to get a, uh, I believe it's a bariatric bypass surgery where they basically cut part of your stomach out so that way you're, you're yep. forced to only eat so much so he was streaming a lot and getting so much cash to pay for it what ends up happening is you know he raises you know 23k but he ends up getting the surgery in mexico where it's only like 8k it's odd when someone who recently just fundraised some money and came back from a surgery comes home with a mustang 
So mm-hmm. yeah, it's all sus when it comes to where did the money go. So uh, I won't spread any other information, but it's just you know the, there's two opportunities right there that he could have bettered himself and he didn't. So now I see that it. I believe Todd McFarlane had said at one point, you know, you can have all the skill you you do got to get lucky in some of these industries. You know, you can be as you can be as best as you can be better than the guy next to you, but if the guy next to you is lucky, he'll be in a higher position than you, or he'll get that chance that you won't. Exactly. Uh, and luck is a part of it, but it isn't detrimental, right? Like if if yeah. you're just unlucky, that shouldn't prevent you from making progress. Yeah. Look at H.P. Lovecraft. Looking back at his work and rereading it, the man was a genius, like you know, a genius for his time. But mm-hmm. so many publishers didn't want to put out his work. Postmortem, his stories—they're like, oh, this is great. This is, you know, if this was published where it was supposed to, he would be recognized as a fantastic writer. I've been mm-hmm. listening to a lot of H.P. Lovecraft uh, deep dives and stuff. So, yeah, you kind of got to get lucky. For some of it, but if you have the skill and everything else, you're gonna make it either way. It's just yeah. when you do it is when the luck happens. Yes, a good example of that actually would be like Hajime Isayama, author of Attack on Titan, because mm-hmm. he was denied for Attack on Titan from like 17 different publishers before Kodansha picked him up, and even then they had to give him like training and all this other stuff to prepare him for success. And they still thought it was going to fail. And now it's the biggest franchise on Earth, practically. That that manga outsells One Piece sometimes. It does, yeah. It was a bigger event than Game of Thrones. It was, yeah. Without the huge marketing push. I mean, you know, Attack on Titan did have, you know, a very large marketing push, but not here's blocks, you know, mm-hmm. like several streets dedicated to here's One Piece there, One Piece there. You can't turn a corner without seeing some form of one piece uh advertisement yeah uh but the funny thing about the attack on titan advertisement stuff that actually didn't start until season three uh funny enough uh season one had no advertisement whatsoever um it was a completely hidden show it spread purely by word of mouth alone by uh for being so unique and high quality at the time as well um because i believe it was uh studio wits was it their first anime production or second? It was very early on in their kind of career, and they took it yeah. because it was uh, because they were a new studio and nobody else wanted to pick it up. Like that's that's how that happened, and so it's like that. All of the luck came after Hajime Isayama. Like his hands were gone. Like he he's already doing it. Whatever. Um, production company, rich guy, happened to be a fan. They're like, hey, we got this new manga that's out. We want to make an anime about it. This one's pretty good. Um, anybody want to take it? Everybody's like, no, this shit looks wild. Uh, we're all busy now anyway. Studio Wit's like, hey, we're a new studio. We need anything to work on, so we'll pick it up and we'll try to make it our best. Because like, uh, the reason Studio Wit dedicated so much energy into making Attack on Titan, the anime, as good as it was, is because they were a new studio, and the studio's first project basically makes or breaks them in the industry. You can be blacklisted for making low-quality content, and they did not want that to happen. So, But that's a case of like Hajime Isayama being extremely unlucky in his position with his ideas, but persevering anyway. Yeah. Um, and now look just how by sheer off. force of will. Oh yeah, it's crazy. Uh, one man, 
the sheer persistence in something like that is something that I definitely admire. I, I respect the people that if you got the drive to do it and to get it out there, I think I respect that more than the sheer skill, right? You know, someone could, you know, have a very, very excellent art style, but be somewhat weaker in their storytelling, but only get out so much content. Like, let's mm -hmm. say someone puts out, uh, here's an example for me. One of my inspirations was I, I'm dyslexic, so I don't really read a lot. I was never really that big of a reader. In fact, I almost failed high school freshman because they, they, they hold you back a year if you fail English. Mm -hmm. So I was almost I had like a I barely passed like a D. I couldn't read most of the books that they were giving us to, you know, to read, to analyze and all this other stuff. And I was wondering what's going on. Because you know, a lot of the other stuff you were reading earlier, English classes, look at this short story. What does yada yada famous reality? Because English class before high school is kind of just sleep or such a nothing class. It wasn't until you in high school where it actually matters, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. So th that shocking experience kind of you know kicked me in the butt and said, all right, so I got to figure out what's going on. It wasn't until much later in my life. Uh, I think that's another big difference between you and I, Hero. You started with the whole uh, – that spark of creativity only really – that started early. For you, you know, that was in your that, – that was at the beginning of this timeline. For me, it was much later. I'm saying – I'm thinking more closer – I think I was already an adult by the time, like 17, 18, by the time I sat down and thought, you know what, I kind of want to – I want to do this. I want to be a creator. I want to make stuff. Mm -hmm. In high school, I had – been i recently got into comics again uh the first manga i've picked up that kind of wanted me to go in the direction like this was monster musume <laughs> yeah. and i'm thinking you know what yeah let's uh, this is gonna be fun let's just do dumb fun stuff so i ended up picking up jojo as well at the same time to fill out my cart yeah it's a story from before so as i'm reading more and more i'm thinking all right so Manga is good and all, but some of this is kind of badly written. And obviously at the time, you know, the, the reason for that is, you know, oh, monthly, weekly schedule. They don't got a chance to do the second draft or third revision. It's all right. I got to I got to get it out. The damn thing is due tomorrow. I got to have it done. So not a lot of opportunity to give it another go. So I sat down and I uh, meet a friend of mine and he ends up getting me more into comics. So I ended up reading Green Lantern, and I read a lot of DC stuff. And to kind of bring it back, because I'm diversifying my library of stuff, I start off with manga, you know, generic harem nonsense with some, you know, generic shonen stuff. Admittedly, you know, JoJo's bigger now and so on and so forth, but, you know, it's still, it is what it is. To, you know, epic, long, cause my Green Lantern journey was with uh, jo uh, Jeff Johns. And he's more mm -hmm. famous for introducing the other colored rings for the Green Lantern Corps. Admittedly, mm. they've gone away with that mostly now. You only really see the yellows show up in the canon right now. But, you know, he's the big thing was he introduced a lot more colored rings for the different cores. So I'm reading that. And then the more and more I'm reading, predominantly comics still. I haven't really touched any prose yet. It wasn't until I discovered a creator named Razorfist, and he introduced me to a character called the shadow and after i read one of the pulps i'm thinking this stuff is cool yeah you know, i struggled through it you know because you know 30s pros and so on and so forth and dyslexia but i'm, I'm kind of digging it i'm liking it you know i can the pacing is f this, these books are you know like 
85 to 100 pages. You know, these pulps are quick, very fast reads with Napoleonic short chapters. So I'm digging through this. I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm digging this older stuff. I'm really digging this. So I pick up Solomon Kane. I pick up Tarzan. I pick up John Carter of Mars. I end up picking up a collection of Edgar Allan Poe. You know, like a lot of these older readers, a lot of these like older writers and some more classic stuff. I know it's pulp. I really get into pulps. I'm really digging this. I end up reading and being told the shadow has over 300 novels. Pulp novels. And the thing that really got me, that really thinking, you want to know what? I respect the dedication and the sheer skill in this one writer. Walter B. Gibson was the main writer for The Shadow. He was the creator. They, they told him, here's, we have a character we want you to do. Go ham. So he basically did everything for The Shadow. Of the 300 novels that was produced for The Shadow magazine, he wrote 283 of them. And this was That's a like Hamilton shit. This was a bi-monthly magazine, by the way. So he had to do two full novels a month for years. And it's freaking uh, originally it was monthly, and then because of the demand, they increased it. So I was like, oh well, it's monthly. So then uh, we'll make it. I, you know, the the time I don't recall how exactly it went, but originally, you know, it only showed up a month. And then it became more and more in demand. So after, you know, the sixth story, they're like, okay, we're going to need you to do a lot more. And he went with it. 283 books dedicated to one character. And there I'm thinking, you got creators that have been make that have been trying to do their comic for, you know, 10 years. And they're barely getting, you know, like a third volume out. You got dudes in the 30s. Well, you know, he was you know, an exception, but you still have people that are able to put out content after content after content. Characters like Doc Savage, who had, who he himself also has 100-plus pulp novels. And Nick Carter is another cool guy. I really like the whole detective angle thing. I tried to read some Sherlock Holmes stuff, but good detective fiction. You, the audience, can follow along with the case. You know, if you can follow, if you can put the clues together and figure out the case with the detective that's good detective fiction whereas yeah, you know, Sherlock Holmes with Sherlock Holmes you know you can't really follow any of his logic the first scene he shares with Watson is oh uh, I know you came from Afghanistan and you're uh, you were wounded and so on and so forth it's like, oh how did you know like, oh well uh, there's sand on your wrist and just the in context I guess you can kind of make an argument for some of it but it does feel somewhat like a deus ex machina where he's with this knowledge that he has. Mm -hmm. But as, as a character, I definitely kind of dig where Sherlock goes. I just don't like the, you know, th this godlike, uh, you know, it, it gets annoying when I'm reading it. So I have only read so many of the Sherlock Holmes stories. I actually bought a, cause I went to half price books and I bought this nice little slipcase hardcover collection that has all the stuff. Sir Conan Doyle. Mm. There's a, uh, uh, Lovecraft one too, but I already have the uh, super mega cool awesome sauce Barnes and Noble edition of the complete Cthulhu tales by H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. Think, I mean, you got people like Walter B. Gibson, you know, going at it, really putting out this content. You have old school pulp characters being just fun. You have some writers like uh, I'm blanking on the name. But the the main writer that they got for Doc Savage, he was only collecting a paycheck. You know, he wrote mm -hmm. these stories that was just collecting a paycheck. But the stories are still fun. 
Oh yeah, it was like uh, same with uh, Charles Dickens. This quality content is still here, and some of these guys only did it for a paycheck. Just the sheer, mm-hmm. you know, skill level that they're showing. I'm like, man, this is really cool. And now in this day and age, where independent creators are being an independent creator is in itself a bonus and a plus to your platform instead of requiring all this other stuff to you know bend over backwards to try and get it out. You don't need Image Comics now to get out there and make your comic. There's a right. uh, there's a creator that I also followed who, following his uh, journey on YouTube, really hunkered down. I want to do this because it is doable. There are two creators actually. There's a uh, individual. His YouTube channel originally started out as Diversity in Comics, and now he changed the name to like uh, Comics Matter with your your boy Zach. I think it was. He changed the name. I don't know why he did it. And then there's another creator who is also like that's what really inspired me. Like that, that's the dichotomy between you and I, Hero. Co- uh, diversity in comics is the Joe Schmo. I want to do this. I like the idea of creating comics, and I want to get there. Right? That would be me. Whereas you, Hero, you're the second person I follow. You're Ethan Van Skyver. You're the dude with experience in the industry. You have another creator called uh, Eric July and his Ripperverse. As an independent creator now, it's cool to see just all these people now coming out and just making their content, wanting to get that stuff out. And it's so great. And it's exciting because now I want to do that. I like the idea of here's a character that the character is no longer in my head anymore. I can visibly give you something. And now you can enjoy the character and what I see, the fun, cool character bits. There's a character I'm working on right now who's a mad scientist, just randomly on a Thursday. I thought, you wanna know what? Oh, yeah. I wanna I wanna see I wanna go like certain directions with uh with this character. I don't wanna do it with the character that I'm working on right now. And she is very, you know, shy and you know, very troubled because of the struggle that she's having in the background. And now I'm thinking, I don't wanna do that to her. So let me make a new character and have some fun with that character. So I can be experimental with the, you know, with the with the new child. But my baby that I hold close to my heart, I'm not ready to really put her through the ringer yet. Admittedly, you know, I have in a, a storyline and plans for what I want to do with her. I have a char- like a piece of advice that I want to say to kind of tie into guys, do a second draft. I, I promise you, it helps. Please write down your stuff. Please get like a Google Doc or Word or even Notepad. Write down your stuff write down your ideas write it down because if you have everything in your head you're either going to forget about it or it's not going to be as good as you think when you finally do it so certain aspects of my first character i ever created were changed because most of it was in my head and then after i wrote down and made a character document for her and had a storyline and just general power as soon as i basically made a wiki page for her a lot of the ideas that i originally thought were okay i ended up dropping Mm -hmm. they weren't worth it they weren't up to snuff because it didn't improve the character it didn't really add to her in a way that would make for interesting character stuff or an interesting story you know a piece of i remember talking to some people and 
the ideas like, oh, well, uh, this character likes so-and-so-and-so-and-so and does this, this, and this. And all they really did was name off quirks. They didn't really give me a character. Oh, my gosh. The amount of times that I have to deal with that, <laughs> giving advice to people, I'm like, okay, what's this character's motivation? Why do they do this thing? And they're like, well, they do this and they do th Like, that's what they're doing. That's not why they're doing it. Ah, uh, it's so frustrating sometimes. I remember uh, one of the communities I was trying to join I, I mean, yeah, we're uh, both in a certain chat, and a lot of people came for one individual. So one guy comes in, and I'm talking with him, you know, chilling in DMs, and I'm thinking, oh, so what's your project? What you're working on? And some of – I still have this screenshot. Let me see if I still have it on my phone. It is – this mentality is – I don't know what to think of it. Basically, he's <laughs> giving me the whole, like, oh, well, uh, I don't want my idealist stolen. Oh, here it is. I have a yes. word for word. <laughs> I can't actually give that source of information. Or, but here's the conversation going. And uh, he's like, oh, I'm making a comic. He says manga. I'm making a comic. And well, obviously, but what's the comic about? And I say Keck because I don't, I, I'm more of a Keck guy, not a lol or a lel. You know, I'm, I'm a Keck guy. And the individual replies, I can't actually give that source of information. There would be no point in telling to anyone who isn't willing to help. No offense to you. I just don't want my idea of being stolen. <laughs> I love, personally, I didn't think I'd run into anyone that would have this, that would give me the, I can't tell you my story ideas because I don't want you taking it or, you know, somewhere along the same lines. But it's just, I hear it all the time in like YouTube videos talking about, oh, I'm, I took, I needed to get over this initial step in order to get beta readers and people to help me improve my writing because how am I supposed to improve if I don't tell people what the story is? So finally interacting with someone who legitimately believes, sorry, I can't tell you nothing because I don't want you to steal my idea. Congratulations, man. In pre-production, there's not much of an idea there. If your character, if you can only tell me character quirks about the character and not the why, if I ask you a question and most of it is why and you can't answer it, you don't have a character. It's barely a concept. Yep. It's just a list of things. It's like a shopping list, essentially. It's like, I want my character to have these things, but I don't know or understand why they do. And I don't want to provide them reasons or anything like that. Going back on the whole, like, um, I don't want to, you know, have my idea stolen situation. I get that so often. It, it's worse so there are three camps of thought that are around the same ideas i'm scared of giving you this information for x reason right and it's worse when you're give when you're giving that excuse to the person you deliberately ask for advice right so the three camps of thoughts are uh first being i don't want my idea stolen right because my idea is so great everybody's gonna want a piece of it i don't want them to steal it uh second camp of thought is i don't want to give you spoilers because i want you to be a fan and if you're going to know everything that goes on uh not only will you be a fan but you'll also be de uh, ruined by the spoilers so to speak which scientifically is, is proven to be false whatever who cares and then the third camp is i'm just doing this for myself which is 99% of the time in my experience absolute bullshit if you're telling other people about this thing you're working on you're not doing it for yourself you're doing it for the people you want to leave an impression on right or the people that you respect the people that you like the people you want to like you um but it's the worst thing in in the world when you 
go like, hey, I need help with this thing that I'm working on. Would you mind giving me some advice, by the way? And then you start asking them questions. You're like, yeah, absolutely. I'll help you with that. And you're like, who's this character? What's what are they doing? What's their motivation? Where is this going? What are you working towards? I don't want to give you spoilers. Oh, this is just for myself. I don't want to change anything because this is the way that I want it. Um, you know, I don't I don't want you to steal my ideas. It's like, OK, then you don't want my help. What you want is validation. You want me to pat you on the back and say good job, even if you don't deserve it, because you don't want to go through the process of deserving it. You just want to be rewarded, essentially, for putting in the work that you think is good, which is fine. You you know, like people should want to be rewarded for doing good work, but you have to prove to other people that you did good work. (laughs) Like if you want other people to give you things, you have to give them things. Like it doesn't work one it's way a give like and take that. type of deal. Exactly, exactly. In all forms of medium, um, it, it's it's an economy, right? It's like I'm providing you with story and experience and emotion. I'm providing you with art, and in exchange, you give me something of what you consider of value, which in a lot of cases would be monetary. Um, sometimes people buy you food. Sometimes provide you friendship. Sometimes give you opportunity. To which you can say yes or no to, right? And it's like, oh, I really like the story. Would you like to publish it under my brand and I'll pay you a certain amount, blah, 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 blah. Yes, I would like to do that. Uh, or I really like the story. Would you like me to pay you money to keep doing it? Yes, I would absolutely love that. Oh, I really like the story. Would you like me to make an animated concept version of it? That would be amazing. Right, right. Thank you. I think the... I can somewhat, I'm trying to play devil's advocate. I can maybe uh, turn this into part of it might be, not narcissism, but I think part of them is they don't want the input from other people to, because, you know, they're scared of failing or. It's a hundred percent anxiety from beginning to end there. It's either um, like pride fueled by anxiety or just straight up anxiety. Right. So the the pride one is like, oh, I don't want you stealing my idea. But realistically, it's like you don't want somebody to do what you think is good better before you. Right. right? Um, And the excuse that we always give back to them is like, well, nobody gives a shit about spoilers except your fans. And you don't have fans. You don't even have a story. (laughs) Like, And then that usually gets people to be like, oh, that was a dumb thing to say. My bad. Here you go. Oh, boy. Hero, or do you believe? Do you honestly believe you're gonna get people like? <laughs> listen, I have. You've actually. Got I've people, done that to people. people yes, and they have legitimately experience. said, "Oh, I guess that's a dumb idea." Oh. <laughs> I have legitimately said that to people, true, dude. I've legit. I've only ever experienced the people that have, you know, like barked back and it's like, "Oh, you don't know what you're talking about, yada." Like I've only dealt with the people that refuse to sit back and acknowledge you want to what there's a little bit even if to admit a little like a, an iota of responsibility and say you want to know what yeah i'll uh i'll yield to some things you're pointing out but i still want to keep x y and z instead i'm just getting you know people barking back and so on and so forth just, oh you don't know what you're talking about yet you're you, you you don't even do as much as i do or so on and so forth and uh, it's now, the, the, in my experience, the people, the only people who do that are the ones who use the excuse um, of, I don't want you to steal my idea, right? The prideful mm-hmm. people. 
Um, so that's like how you can tell like which camp they're in is it's pride or anxiety. It's probably people are like, I don't want you to steal my idea because my idea is worth more than you are situation. Right. And um, then the anxiety people are the ones you can do that thing with where you're like, hey, you don't have fans. Be realistic about this. You're asking me for help. Let me help you. Then they're like, OK, that makes sense. Uh, but the prideful people, you usually have to come at from like an angle of I don't give a shit about your story. I'm already busy. You mean nothing to me. Tell me your story if you want me to help or fuck the fuck off. And they'll either subside and like be like, okay, clearly you're not interested and I want to prove something to you. So here you go. I'm going to give you the thing you asked for. Or they won't bother you and you just saved yourself a few hours of headache. Some of the best things that I've seen before is like someone trying to do something out of spite and then they get so much better at what they're trying to do because the people that I, I think some advice I was given is like obviously get some beta readers but get people that don't like you per se and only have them focus on the work because even if they don't like you they're gonna they're not gonna want to you know brown nose or you know give you a trophy for participation they're gonna you know tear your work apart and say this this and this and this and that I try and be more Right. And you have to try and not take it as a personal attack, yeah. right? It's like, I don't like the way that you did this thing translates to, I don't like how this thing was done. Can you do it better? Right? Like, the, the, it's separate. It's separating the, the content from the context in a way, which is very difficult to do. Definitely something that I strive for to do. And that's why, you know, I wanted to become a creator and why so many of these older pulps i want to pick up you know like after we're done with this i'm going to go to like a half price books and see what other pulps they got i've been picking up a lot more westerns now too because i was watching a video mm -hmm. on how westerns as a genre is a foundation of you know american spirit we haven't had a good western in a long time the only quote-unquote western that we've gotten is technically yellowstone but that's i don't know how i would count that it really sucks because it's always fun it's the same story over and over and over again, and yet every time you want to sit down and still watch it, that's how you know you got something. When you have a story or a concept or a genre that is still fun and entertaining no matter what you do with it, you with a, I guess this is why Shonen is so appealing to so many people as well. It's the same thing with a slightly different coat of paint. But it's those differences that make it so entertaining that you can ignore that you're basically watching a rehash of something that just came out sometimes even months earlier. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely uh, it's definitely exciting, you know, to sit down and just absorb all of these things and just be excited to want to say, I want my creation out there. I want it out of my head and being enjoyed by other people. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Got any closing statements? I've been, uh, I got you for a long time, so figured I'd let you see what we got. You know, <laughs> you're good. You're good. Uh, I did want to kind of go back on what you're talking about, like starting projects out of mm -hmm. spite, uh, because I'm, as you know, I'm somebody who's done that. Uh, Unhallowed, my primary manga, is uh, was originally created out of spite. I wrote, wrote, drew, developed the entire one shot mm -hmm. in a matter of forty eight hours because I was just upset over some criticism that I received. Um, and essentially, like, my characters weren't interesting, um, the story wasn't developed, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, like, in hindsight, the person was absolutely right. They were completely uh, on the nose about everything that they were saying. 
And the main thing I had a problem with was how they were saying it because they were being a huge asshole. Um, but, you know, the content was right. So it's like this comes back into like taking criticism, separating the content from the context. Yeah. If if I was in the headspace I'm in now, I could take the information he provided me and separate it from how he provided it to me. Um, it's like wrapping a, a gift basket in a in a mail bomb. Right. right? So he's like, take off the mail bomb, appreciate the gift basket. Um and so, like, I, I developed that story um, according to what I thought was, like, some of the main criticisms that he had was that it was, like, there's no way it was going to be marketable, sellable, the things that he thought were important to the story in a way. Um, but but still keeping, like, I didn't want to develop it for this person because I was not interested in the same things that this person was interested in. But there were things that this person was interested in that I was also interested in. So I, I modeled it after those things. I tried to make it as marketable, as easily recognizable. I tried to make the character design simple but iconic. I tried to develop some of the other characters to kind of be in relation to them. And in the end, a lot of the developments that happened have kind of evolved over time as I've continued to write the story and write more chapters and redo certain aspects of it. Um, like a lot of areas were undeveloped and weak, like uh, how some of the conflicts come to be, how the abilities work and stuff like that. But after kind of sitting on how I've already written them and coming up with reasons for those things, for the powers in particular, the main character is able to uh, essentially copy the genetic data of a demon or a monster that comes and attacks him and adopt part of that ability onto his own body and use that like Ben 10 style um, in order to fight against other types of evil. And then he can like keep those in store for future use. So if he fights an octopus monster, he gets like super stringy powers and ink powers and, you know, all kinds of different stuff. Um, and then if he fights a cat monster, he'll get cat stuff. If he fights a spider monster, he gets spider stuff, whatever. Um, so I was like, but just by mentioning, you know, Ben 10 and like him having like a similar power set, even if it's not 100% close to the Omnitrix, but just the idea alone, like having that in the description, just having that alone makes it as marketable because you have so many people that just adore that show. I, I as well love that show. And that alone, you know, just it adds so much to it. It's like, all right, you got me listening. You said Ben 10. I want to let's see what we got. Right, exactly. It's like, and that's something that you have to kind of get used to as like a creator is uh, comparing your project to things that already exist. And the reason for this is because it's easier for people to imagine the things they've seen than the things they haven't. So if you have like a completely original idea nobody's seen or related to before, you're going to have a very hard time selling that compared to somebody who makes something uh, similar to the things other people have seen. But uh, going back to the powers, uh, the kind of like additions or developments that I had was I was doing some research on another story I was working with with a friend. And we had come up with the idea of like um, powers being based in like kind of like motivation and emotion. Um, and so we kind of like sum this up as like ego. Right. We're calling the power ego as in relation to your own personal ego, the the ideas or motivations that you have to pursue certain aspects in life um, or achieve certain goals. And I started kind of like... As in the ego in psychology, right? Because there's the... Yes. Because Sigmund Freud's idea of, you know, the, the, there's the ego, the it, and the superego. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So I did a lot of uh, research into kind of like that aspect and how that kind of 
related to real life. And then at the same time, I was like critically analyzing my story and how the abilities kind of worked that I had already written. So the idea of like the character is essentially taking a portion of this other being and adopting it or conscripting it onto his own personality in order to pursue a specific motivation, right? He is, for all intents and purposes, uh, um, superseding his ego onto the other being's ego, right? Um, So it's like, okay, so there's a connection here that's kind of happening. He's taking parts of his personality, parts of their personality, and creating a new personality in order to use those abilities and skills in order to achieve a goal he's single-minded about. And so now I've got, like, this connection going on. I can develop that connection into things of, like, variations of ego. Like, um, I have different modes such as obsession and devotion. Um, which mean the same thing, but in different ways, right? It's like being hardcore dedicated to something. Obsession is usually used as a negative con- uh, connotation or context where you are essentially possessed or overtaken by a single desire, while devotion is like you're dedicating yourself to a single desire, right? It- it's willing versus unwilling. And so I was like, okay, well, then we have, like, obsession being the negative aspect where the power kind of takes over his own uh, autonomy. And now he's, like, he's still getting what he wants, but not in the way that he wants it, right? He could hurt people. He could hurt himself. He could ruin things, you know, whatever, if he's in this obsession mode. Um, And how he gets there is through negative thoughts. Or he could go to devotion, which aligns itself to the religious theme that's already Mm -hmm. present in the story with the whole aspects of good and evil and heaven and hell and fighting demons and stuff like that. So if he devotes himself to a cause, it's more of like a single-minded but still conscious uh, inaction of this, this kind of goal hunting ability that he has. And so it's like that that's kind of like a way that you can take something that you've already had that isn't working and kind of make it work by doing a little more research and thinking about it objectively, Um, especially with things that like like unhallowed originally I wasn't like 100 percent on I wasn't really keen on working on it but i needed something to motivate me to work on it and i and for that i needed the thing to be good so i was essentially transforming something i thought wasn't good into being good and so that that i think is like an important aspect people should kind of realize they have i definitely want to add a little bit to this yes it's one thing to look at a work and be objective and personally i'm very blunt and aggressive mm-hmm. You can be blunt to people. You can be objective. But you need to explain things to them as clear as day and not be a dick. So that way they'll actually take your advice. So that way they'll actually yeah. hear what you're saying. If you're ripping into them, sure, whatever. Be blunt. Uh, criticize them, so on and so forth. But be smart about how you're wording it. Because eventually you're going to get to a point where they don't listen. People are not going to want to hear constant oh this this and this or you don't know what you're doing or uh you know so on and so forth because i i also heard the uh criticism for the uh, original on hollow prototype and i can say yeah valid there's some valid criticism in there but then there's also just extra salt being put in there because why not i don't even think he knew you at the time either so it's 
odd that he didn't. He knew nothing out. about me. Yeah. You know, that was just pure being a bit of a dick for no particular reason instead of being all right, blunt but fair, critical but fair. You know, understand that the person you're talking to is a person. So they're going to hear what you're saying. Or they could choose mm-hmm. not to hear what you're saying because why would I listen to a guy that's giving me a bunch of crap for no reason and just plowing it on, not even giving me a chance to interject or even try and understand what the decisions were. A lot of criticism that I've seen, especially for some of the stuff I've worked on, is, oh, they don't just throw it out. They ask me, why did you do that? Or Because they want to understand, okay, why did I do X, Y, and Z? Oh, I did it because this, this, and this. And then they ask me, well, do you understand why this isn't going to work when I give you X, Y, and Z information? So now I'm going back and forth. I'm like, ah, okay, yeah, I see what you mean. Like, they'll be hard on me, but they'll tell me what's wrong with it. Like, at one point, uh, I tried the, the – someone was reading my NaNoWriMo book, and I knew I was going to get torn to shreds because, oh, hey, lo and behold, NaNoWriMo is – 100% a first draft. The entire point is to just mm-hmm. dump the book out. You are paying attention to a word count and making and trying to make a story work. So meeting a deadline, that kind of thing. So there's so much other, there's obviously the person going into this understood, all right, this is a NaNoWriMo book. I'm just trying to see what I can ex- extrapolate from this and try and get a decent, entertaining story out of it. And, yeah, I got torn to shreds. I got, you know, oh, this idea kind of seemed like you kind of just jumped into it and so on and so forth. I'm trying to paraphrase what the individual was telling me because it's been so long since I did it. So you're looking at this and you have a character who, oh, they're doing this, this, and this. Well, why are they doing that? It's like, oh, well, I needed, you know, this to happen later in the story. It's like, yeah, but you could have done it this way and saved on words and so on and so forth. So a lot of the things that I was doing, it made it seem obvious that I was just reaching for that word count and not paying attention to what I was doing and working towards Mm -hmm. the better of the story, making it flow better. The actual bits that I got praised for were, oh, you know, this is a pretty cute moment. You know, like it was a uh, sort of like a father-daughter story, you know, like the, uh, oh, uh, kind of like that. Something like that scene in the like an anime or something where oh you have this lost child and they have nowhere else to go so the father figure ends up adopting them and now they have adventures together and shit right right the additive yeah. stuff the stuff that isn't is it's character building but not plot focused I got one the uh, the main character is an illusionist so he enjoys reading a lot of books and so on and so forth but the girl that he ended up adopting she don't really read she can't read so to help her. Uh, the, the thought came into my head. You know how people say you got to visualize what you're reading and stuff? So what he does is he casts a spell, and now the books that she's reading, because he had the memories of reading it, the image of what he thought the book was is now coming to live. And it's like, you know, it's a scene where it's like all the books are now proje- like somewhat projecting or like floating imagery outside of them now. So now you can visibly see the story being shown to you. So that way she didn't need to read it. That is very cute. No, so I, I thought it would be like a cute moment. Where I go, so she can't read, and I'm not good enough as the parenting thing to understand, oh, I need to sit down and read the book to her. Because obviously you have to start from zero and grow to it. You know, you can't have them be like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, I want to help the kid, but I don't know how to be a parent. So instead of sitting down and reading the book to her, he thought, oh, I'm an illusionist. I'm going to use some of my magic to solve this problem and, you know, let her be happy. 
Right, exactly. And it's like, it's character defining because you're thinking about like, how would the character solve this problem with the tools and resources that they have available? Because yeah, you don't want to start this way. There was a YouTube short I actually saw where it was uh, Jamie Foxx and Quentin Tarantino for uh, Django. And mm. Jamie Foxx is, you know, walking in, you know, all styled out, super cool and stuff. And Quentin Tarantino's like, um, yeah, yeah, kind of being, I don't know how to do a good Tarantino impression, but basically he's trying to tell Jamie, he's like, listen, uh, he starts off here and then he becomes cool. He needs to be here. And so like, he's trying to get it into his head. All right. So you're zero at the beginning of the movie, but at the end of the movie, you're balling. You're, you're this freaking giga Chad walking into the room, solving problems. You need to start somewhere. They can't really, it's more interesting to see them grow than to be, you know, great from the beginning. And I wanted to nail that in because I personally don't like overpowered characters. So I purposefully made it so the characters that I work with are basically underpowered. The dude's an illusionist, but, you know, he can't really throw... If someone's going to beat the crap out of him, he can't really throw a punch. He can't really do stuff. And he can't even use his powers as an illusionist as much because he has a heart problem. And, you know, the way ma magic is channeled in that universe, you literally channel this energy through you. And if you're doing that, you might... You, I thought of, you know, the channeling being like uh, an electrical current. So because mm -hmm. our bodies naturally work like that, oh, if you use your magic slightly wrong, you can mess with your heart and your heart's already weak. So now you can only use your magic so much before you accidentally kill yourself. So I wanted to include a weakness at that. And luckily they enjoyed that idea too, because you rarely use, like, imagine this, a, you know, magical fantasy story type, because it takes place in the, it took place in the thirties. So it's older, but, you know, still uh, fantastic. It's not yeah, medieval. still fantastical in a way. <clears throat> so you got the story taking place in the 30s. So, you know, old school stuff in the UK. And I thought, all right, how can I make it a little more interesting? It, he rarely uses magic in the... The, the, the NaNoWriMo is 50K words. I think he only used like three or four spells in the entirety of the book. Mm. And it was it, several chapters in between before you see another spell again simply because it needed to be super mega optimal for him to even use it. So one time he's in the comfort of his own home and he has everything he possibly needs to make sure that it doesn't hurt him when he uses a spell or it's a magical uh, do or die moment. I'm already, mm -hmm. I'm already messed up if I don't use my spell to get out of a situation or so on and so forth. So I wanted to do stuff like that. So I was getting shredded just absolutely torn apart with all the criticism, but then stepped back and said, you know, this is pretty cool. I like that. Mm -hmm. And then went right back into, you know, beating me down and so on and so forth. But it was, you know, I took the advice. I can't remember the exact, you know, rhetoric that the individual used, but their intention was, I want you to write this because I liked it. I just want it better. <laughs> and not, I'm going to tear this, you know, one shot apart for my for my anthology that barely puts out a lot of content. If you really think about it, you know, yada yada. But uh, right, like if somebody's telling you a lot of negative things about your thing, they're helping you, not hurting you. Right, that's important to remember. And you gotta. It's like okay, so they're telling me they're telling me my my stuff is shit, and it, they don't want it to be shit, and I don't want it to be shit. So let's fix this together. Yeah, there's got there's there needs to be this mutual. I, we both want this to be better. 
Mm -hmm. the advice you got. And, and there's an easy way to tell because if somebody is like throwing insults directly at you and not about your work, or they're saying like, this is stupid, I hate this, blah, blah, blah. They're not helpful. That's not constructive, right? Uh, but if they are like helping you problem solve, then they're being constructive. They are trying to help you. And it's, it, you got to separate those types of people and learn to to take advice from the people who are trying to help you and providing construction and the, uh, ignore the people who aren't. Um, and, and in some cases, like you can take advice from the people who aren't because, yeah. OK, are you yeah, the damn thing just kicked the, the discord just kicked me out. What were you saying? <laughs> Yeah, you, you were having some connection issues. But what I was saying yeah. is uh, part of the issue that I had with the criticism at the time was that uh, a good chunk of the criticism wasn't aimed at me. It was aimed at the community as a whole. I just happened to be uh, being used as an example, right? Like they were talking about like the quality of work that they get, um, common writer mistakes, blah, blah, blah. And they're, they weren't talking about my work in particular. They were talking about all works in particular. And that was just completely unnecessary, uh, especially for such a public venue, so to speak. It was just like had some gripe or whatever. How long did you, uh, I don't, I remember we talked about it when we were checking it out. How long did it take you to do the, the, the one shot? I remember that's a good question. I actually don't know. I think like maybe a month. Yeah, because I remember at the time. Yeah, it, the, the artwork could have been stronger and some of the paneling. Because this is again when you you yourself were also a younger creator. That was like one of my first. Yeah, that was like uh, this was what like eight years ago or something like that. And I was just starting my comic journey. Uh, this was like maybe the one of the first couple of comics I had ever made. And I was participating in this thing because it was open to everybody and they were giving public feedback. And I was like, you know what? This sounds like a great opportunity. And uh, it, it, like, in some ways it was. In a lot of other ways it wasn't. So, but like, I, I use that as like a as kind of a learning opportunity for a number of different things. One, how to take criticism. Two, what type of criticism I should take. And then three, um, just motivating me into making unhallowed. Um, which kind of leads me into my next quick topic, real quick, yeah. uh, before we hop off. Yeah. But uh, I, I want to. Uh, kind of like enamored by you talking about overpowered characters and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, because I think like in Unhallowed, I solved this problem in kind of a unique way uh, where the main character has essentially limitless power. He's very overpowered. None of the other people he's fighting have abilities other than the demons and the demons only have one ability. Um, so he is, he's quite literally one of the most powerful people in his kind of community. I won't say the world because there are other people in the world like him. But uh, the the kind of way that I overcome this kind of detriment that he's uh, in is I make the challenge or the growth character related uh, pretty much to the core. This is something that I took from Soul Eater that I liked a whole lot, where like the character's power level is directly tied to their character development. Um, so the better written a character, the better developed a character, the stronger they become. So um, for the main character, his uh, because and like this is also going into the whole like ego power thing yeah. um, that allows me this kind of vehicle to be like, OK, so he has access to these abilities, but he can't utilize them because he's not super smart. He hasn't been in very many fights. The people reacting to him don't support him. He's very unpopular in his school because if you were to like, if you were to go to school with a person like Naruto in the early days, you would absolutely hate him. He would be the worst. He'd be the Class clown, always fucking shit up. Yes. 
Exactly. And so that's what the role that this kid plays, because he's like Naruto in those in similar ways. But the people around him react to him differently. They're like, you're annoying. I don't want to deal with you. I don't want to work with you. I don't respect you. Um, so it, it's up to him to kind of like recognize that, but in a non-toxic way. It's not for him to overcorrect. It's for him to correct slowly one step at a time as he learns the things that he wants are uh, the things that he's doing are preventing him from getting the things that he wants. And as he uncovers those, he will start making wiser, better, smarter decisions. He will get better at fighting. He will be better at uh, being a tactician and making certain like combat decisions. He will be better at making interpersonal decisions and making relationships and like all these things that help him overcome uh the, like he he's specifically overpowered in a battle sense, but really underpowered in a character sense. And so I make the battles in the story half and half, where sometimes he's fighting people, sometimes he's fighting himself, in a way. And I think that um is it's an available option that I thought was pretty unique that I was able to accomplish. So long as it's closer to like a JoJo fight than something like Onisama from Irregular at Magical High School or Saitama, then I think uh, you're going to hit the nail on the head pretty good there. Yeah, well, that and like the, the fights aren't happening simultaneously, right? Like the character development isn't happening at the same time as like the combat. <laughs> There's, I'm talking to a friend of my brother and he's watching something in the background. And they're... I think there's an anime fight going on or something. And I say, you almost my favorite line from Captain America Civil War. And he's looking at me like, what? There's a scene where Spider-Man, Falcon, and Winter Soldier are in the scene. And Spider-Man, obviously being the character he is, he's going to be talking. So Falcon quips, I don't know how many fights you've been in, kid, but I promise you there's not, normally not this much talking. And all I could think is that is the <laughs> easiest roast you can give to any freaking... Like, I, I know this, this little side tangent, but, I, you know, I admittedly, I didn't grow up in, you know, best neighborhoods and I wasn't necessarily a, uh, the, uh, <laughs> I wasn't necessarily a good student either. So, you know, getting into a couple rumbles here and there wasn't too uncommon for me in my area. So luckily I'm out of that uh, position in my life and I'm in a better area. But I pro like, a lot of these anime fights and a lot of these shows I look at and I think, you guys aren't really fighting. You know, this is more of a show. Like, if you are fighting, fighting, you want to beat the snot out of the other guy. You're not fighting because, oh, you believe in whatever, you know, monologue or soliloquy you just gave two seconds ago to the person. You're beating them up because you're angry and you want to show that, you know, might makes right in that scenario. Right. It's like it's like a debate with, uh, accented by fists. Yeah. Instead of I'm literally fighting you and then debating you and like not, not you don't have time to be talking to the guy that's throwing fists at you. You have two seconds to throw some disses at him and then, you know, start throwing fists. You throw a diss and then you start throwing fists. And then the winner is the one that's not on the floor uh, knocked out. Yeah. Right, exactly. The winner is the one you know is the winner. Yeah. I'm not, the, I'm not gonna lie. I wasn't. A, there was a lot of times where I was, the, I was the dork on the floor. <laughs> Man, that was the little guy growing up. So, whenever someone says you're punching up, I didn't understand what they meant about that because to me, I'm thinking, yeah, no, I am punching up. I'm shorter than everyone. I need to punch up. Like that. That there's an entire scene in Real Steel where he's training with his with Adam. 
and he realizes, oh, Adam's shorter than most of the bots he's fighting. So he needs to train punching up. And in the movie, you know, it's symbolic because it's literally the Joe Schmo, the underdog, literally punching up to, you know, the people that are better than him and yada yada. So it, it, I know it's really ham-fisted uh, uh, symbolism, but I didn't know the context as to what that phrase meant back then because mm-hmm. now that I'm older, I obviously know what punching up means. But younger and uh, less experienced, I'll say, I, it's literally, no, I'm thinking they're fighting. It's a, it's a fighting thing. You know, so it's always that's why I enjoyed stuff like boxing and UFC sometimes whenever uh, someone pays for the fight. Because I don't know, it's interesting to see these fights go on. Sometimes they end in a couple of minutes. Sometimes they go on for the full, you know, the full match. This, you know, learn the old school story. Because another thing that we should probably mention before we close out for the day, nothing is original. New pieces of stories can be reframed to be refreshing, but nothing is really original anymore. The, mm-hmm. In my studies for a lot of writing, I've come to the conclusion there are only eight storylines that you can tell. And if you break it down, you can point to any story and connect them to one of these eight. So when someone says, like, oh, I want to do something original, well, you're not really doing something original. You're just reframing these ideas to be refreshing to your audience. You know, Attack on yes. Titan as a whole. I think the yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say. I think the the a better way to kind of like say that mm-hmm. is um is like you want to make something new. You don't want to make something original, right? Because you you can make new things all of the time. Uh, that's very easy to do. But making something original is absolutely impossible. Yeah, because you'll always you know connect it to something that's been in the past. You know, the, if that story is gonna get attention, it needs to be you know admittedly connected or you can have this older work be a frame of reference to say oh it's like this to sell it to people you know just to, to bring it back earlier mm-hmm. you brought the uh, unhallowed sounds like a really cool idea and then you bring up how the powers were working and you said ben 10 connecting it to something older something before something yep. that was already made ben 10 soul leader and naruto those three it's don't feel bad that your stuff isn't 100 original just make it your own Make it work. You know, Mm -hmm. that's what I'm trying to do with the stuff that I'm doing. I'm inspired by a lot of pulps and manga and a lot of comics, but I understand that those are that. And the work that I'm doing, it needs to be my own. I have another character that I want to work on because I'm so inspired and so enamored with the shadow and all of these pulp uh, vigilantes. I wanted to do my own, but thinking, you know what, what, uh, what can I do to make this guy, this individual more interesting, more me, more why? the way I see it is, if Batman, admittedly, it's harder to get. You know, it's not as accessible. But if people can still read The Shadow, they can get the pulps if they try. They can get Batman comics. They can get these masked vigilante. If Zorro is in public domain, you can get all of his stories for free. You know, what makes my thing attractive to want to read over theirs? You know, because if they can stop reading my work and go read the thing that inspired me. So what, mm-hmm. what's stopping them from saying... I like this, but I like the other thing more because it's better or other tertiary reasons. You know, you got to keep them here. If 
uh, I'm making my own mass vigilante type character that's, you know, very pulp noir inspired, uh, excuse me, that's very pulp noir inspired. What's stopping them from reading Daredevil? What's stopping them from reading Batman? Or what's stopping them from reading certain parts of Spawn? You know, making the, making your stuff yours, but still allowing yourself to, you know, be inspired, I think is super important, you know, to get people reading your stuff, to get people, you know, with you. Because I'm checking a lot mm-hmm. of these things out and people, people are so attached to wanting to be 100% original. But I, I think that I find that more as a crutch. You know, I, I'd rather embrace the ideas that, you know, inspired me to create this in the first place. You know, they're tr- not only they're trying to be validated by the fans of the work that inspired them, but also try and push away the very notion that you're a copycat or you were influenced by the work. You know, everybody wants to make their own Naruto, mm-hmm. but they don't want to admit that they were inspired or that was the uh, original, th- that was the original take. Like that, that's, oh, that's my intent. I want to make my own Naruto, but I don't want to be compared to Naruto. Right, exactly. I want to make a story about magic ninjas, but it's not Naruto. I promise the main character is actually a girl. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even if it's, you know, tertiary differences, it's like, eh. you might want to, personally, I think you might need a little more differences than besides those, but if you can make it work, sure. Just don't feel bad when people kind of, you know, give the same example, you know, say the same things that I'm saying where, oh, well, I could just go read the other thing again. Because I find that a lot of people would rather reread. I, I think we might be in two camps. I like I don't reread a lot of stuff. And a lot of people that I know like to reread things. Uh, I, I don't know mm-hmm. about you, but I'm usually a more absorbed new stuff. And I rarely re-experience other work unless I'm getting people into it. Like, I remember... Uh, I only re-experience things if I can get something new out of it. So, like, for example, watching anime, I'll watch it in Japanese or English, and then I'll go and watch the other version later on. Or I'll watch uh, it again, but, like, as a reaction series, so I can get, like, a tertiary opinion or, you know, s- some transformative property about it will allow me to reconsume the content in a kind of, like, fresh new uh new way that allows me to digest it a little bit differently okay because i uh, i think the only times i've ever really experienced things is when i need to reread it for a book club or i want to get someone into something like i already read the manga my dress up darling but i found out it became officially available in english so i recommended some friends to read it i and they bought you know i ended up rereading it with them because because it's been a bit since i read the manga because uh, i did it kind of you know, underground bit of no-no thing because it wasn't legally available in my country yet. There was four volumes? Hell yeah, I pick it up immediately. I paid retail price for manga. Can you believe that? <laughs> Freaking hell. <laughs> retail price. These were like 13, 15 bucks a volume. I paid retail price because I had to get the manga right now because I love the manga so much. It, it And it's just cosplay. And this chick wanted to do cosplay and this dork helping her. And then them slowly getting yada yada yada. It's fun. So on so forth. It, it's such a fun ride that you know i don't recommend my friends to get it and then he bought the damn thing so that i ended up rereading the manga with him so i think the only times i really re-experience things is when i want to get other people into it i don't really put the i guess i could say i have like a list of stuff that i can just rewatch regularly you know that's background noise but not sit down and enjoy again you know i know some people mm-hmm. rewatch one piece religiously like okay you know i'm gonna catch up with one piece again and just start from zero and go again even though they've already done that like four or five times. And the only new thing they're doing is seeing the current arc animated. Or, but for me, I'd rather watch something new. Or if I need background noise, I'll put on a movie that I 
liked. Like my 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 go to movie to just have as background noise is uh, Judge Dredd, the uh, '90s version with Stallone, because it's so goofy and dumb fun that you know I love the background. I love having it as background noise. Just hearing, I am this buck is under arrest. And it's just fun, campy sci-fi stuff from the time period. You know, I, I don't know why people. I, I loved it. It's you know not as good as the comics it's adapting, but then realizing what it's adapting like, yeah good luck getting a faithful adaptation of judge dread even the dread movie that came out i believe it was 2013 i think 2014 was kind of it, it got the spirit of the comics correct but overall it was just a kind of basic story when you think about it. it's like oh he's locked in this building and it, it, you're dealing with the drug thing in there like trying to overtake it and you know what Mm-hmm. I can dig it, but I kind of like the other movie more because it's just more dumb, fun, entertaining, which is not bad. You know, you can sit down and just be pure. You can make things to be pure popcorn flicks. Just don't try and pretend you're anything deep. You know, I, I, there's a lot of works that I remember checking out that are basically that. But what are some closing words that you could say that you look forward to for the next coming week, Hero? That I look forward to the next coming week? I hope to have some updates on my suck on work and be able to give people some advice um on things i might have learned doing that mm-hmm. uh, what about you me i want to go into my writing group again and see what the new challenge is going to be because it, it, not only do i want to get a new challenge from the writing group i want to sit down and rewrite my introduction story it's a short story so i'm gonna check out some of the anthology collections i have see you know get the general flow for what they have and check the page count and think okay how could i redo this because uh, you know i don't feel like, this was a good introduction to my character. I don't feel that this is how I want people to be first introduced to the, her. And I want to make sure that she makes a good first impression. And people care about her the first short story. You know, I know a lot of people give, like, let's take manga or anime. Like, they give anime the three-episode rule. Or they give manga the full-volume rule. I want to be able to say from it doesn't the short stories and her character and her story doesn't get good 16 short stories in or three books in i want people to say you want to want it was solid and quote-unquote good from the first short story that i read and i was interested oh yeah yeah i hate that the one of the most is just coming across story and having somebody be like oh yeah it gets good after a certain x amount of chapters or x amount of episodes it's like okay but i don't want to have to deal with that just for the potential payoff of it being kind of good. Yeah. So I'll definitely say uh, I want to rewrite my first short story for her, and I want to see how the next challenge goes. I will say, uh, uh, starting uh, tomorrow, I definitely want to sit down and try and get into coding. And finally... Oh, yeah. I want to finally open that up and get into it. I want to learn some game development, actually. I want to nice. Maybe we'll do that together. I've been uh, I've been wanting to do that as well. Oh yeah. So uh, I could send you a. <laughs> there's a game. There's actually three games I want to make, and one of yeah. them one of them might be interesting because I remember at some point you had asked me if you wanted to do an H game or uh, you had shown interest in one yes. H game. So I'm, yes, I, uh, the guy I wanted to do an H game with uh, disappeared one day, and I never heard from him again. So I've been wanting to do that since then. I want to do a pastiche of it because I legitimately love the franchise. So I'll send you the uh, the mm. links to the games that I want to try and work on, and you'll kind of see why I'm like, eh, do you vibe with these tags? Or if not, I mean, we could change it up. We'll see, you know?
Yeah.